What is up, everyone? My name is Brandon First, aka First Report, representing the ESBC Podcast Network. It is Thursday, September 10th, and that means it is time for our weekly horse racing podcast call to post. It's always my absolute honor to introduce one of my co-hosts, Raider Jim Martinez. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Having a great week. How's everybody out there? How you doing, Brandon? How you doing, Josh? Fantastic. Doing great. Every day is a great day. Talk about that. Amen. How about you, Josh? Uh, ready for a, you know, ready for a NFL to get started tonight and obviously um, getting us ready for next week. A little teaser for you. Um, it will be a bit of a full dive into um, what everything that is maximum security. It was kind of something we were looking at and then realized maybe it was a little uh, bigger rabbit hole than we expected. So we will be uh, dropping everything that we have for maximum security next week. I know Josh is uh, ready to unload on that one. Well, I've been reading a lot, you know, and I'll throw it a lot uh, because there's a whole, it really goes back to history, right? And there's been some really great books written in the last 50 years about the horse racing industry and the the dynastic families in the horse racing industries and uh, researching a divorce for a client. I ran into some very interesting um, estate issues going on in the horse racing world that are very interesting. So it's, it's kept me entertained, but the maximum security story has a lot of different layers to it that we can explore. And I bet you that all those people that listen to our, uh, which the, the Astros true crime, which scandal was the worst of all time when the pandemic hit? <laughs> we explored that. Uh, they're going to be listening to that podcast next week because it has a lot of the same elements involved in it. And again, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to work on our reporting chops and we're going to be a little bit different than the reporting now. We're going to go back old school to where we're not going to make any value adjustments. Uh, we're just going to report uh, the different news we have and the different uh, perspectives we have, and we'll let you decide. Perfect. And 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 this specific podcast. It, it is as Josh. No, as Josh said, it's a it's a deep hole. Uh, there's a lot of rooms to it too. I mean, I started writing my piece weeks ago. I thought we were going to be able to talk about it before the Kentucky Derby, but it ended up every time I would come across one resource or one source for information it would lead me to two more and two more and two more. It's amazing. It's incredible. And yeah, it it can almost, I was talking about this with a friend of mine just over the past week. And I told him, I said, you know, quite honestly, the more you read, the more in depth I get, it almost can make me step back and question uh, the entire game. You know, there's always something going on, just like there's always something going on in boxing and there always has been. But if you put dollars and cents aside, depending on the type of person you are, the type of character you have, and me, I'm, I'm a big advocate of animals. I don't belong to PETA, anything like that, and I have nothing against anybody who does belong to PETA. But what they put these racehorses through, the thoroughbreds, uh, definitely very much, their only word to apply to it at times is criminal. Uh, they are pushing their hearts, they're pushing their limbs, and then when they're done, uh, it made me think of Mike Webster, the Steelers, uh, long-time four Super Bowl ring wearing center for Terry Bradshaw and Chuck Nolan, the Steelers. And it ended up when they had their big 
one of their big reunions, the last time all the guys saw him together, they had to buy him clothes because he had gotten into such a state and such a condition. He had been living on the streets, been estranged from his family, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what happens to professional athletes on too many cases. It's possibly, and I'm sure it is, the exception and not the rule. But how many exceptions, you know, can you just look at and say, oh, well, it doesn't happen to everybody. It doesn't have to happen to everybody. It shouldn't happen to anybody is the thing. So, yeah, right. it's, it's going to be a very interesting discussion. Agreed. And, uh, and for this specific uh, podcast, this is going to be more of a, a wrap-up of obviously the weekend that was uh, at Churchill Downs and the, the whole meet of Del Mar, um, as of course Labor Day was the final run um, for the summer meet at Del Mar. For the for the most part, they uh, we'll get to it in a bit. But they they worked their asses off. Uh, my hats off to them. They did every single thing that they could to give us um, a show as best they could. Um, so my hats off to them. But we'll start our this recap in Churchill Downs um, at this past weekend. Obviously, Friday was uh, the Kentucky Oaks, which um, is kind of. Uh, I mean, I guess it's somewhat of an of a appetizer to the Kentucky Derby, if you will, but very, very similar grade of horses, uh, just maybe fillies as opposed to kind of opening. But um, we expected to see Gamine versus Swiss Skydiver. Possibly, I think it was Speech, right? Speech would have been possibly one that I yeah, actually was correct. very high on um, and figured it was going to be one, it could possibly wedge itself in between Swiss Skydiver or uh, Gamine, but instead, out of nowhere, she she dares the devil. Um, comes off it's probably one of the biggest upsets I've seen um, in the Oaks, but definitely you know at that level uh, in a race that we all thought it was a two horse race with maybe a third one. I don't think anybody really expected she dares the devil to win. I know there were people talking. I think the biggest part of this race for me, the hardest part, was finding the third. The other person besides Swiss Skydiver and Gamine, um, obviously that wasn't the case because She Dares the Devil was the class of this field. Uh, I, was, I was a bit bummed with the performance of Gamine. I think we realized that, you know what, maybe two turns is a bit too much for this horse. Uh, no, no knock on it, but look, you can't be a top-notch horse if you can't go two turns, um, at least at that level. She Dares the Devil is heading off uh, to the Breeders' Cup. Uh, plenty of eyes will be on on her uh, come November. We're really one of the bigger upsets that we've seen in a while. What were your thoughts on the Kentucky Oaks there, Raider Jim? Yeah, I, uh, I feel pretty much the same way you do. I will tell you that, as I've said all along, one time, one day we talked about, do horses know if there's people in the stands? Do they know if there's fans in the stands? Do they know that the, their competitors on either side? Because if you look at the programs for for West Coast horse racing or any racetrack, you will see these horses go head to head several times during any session, be it a summer session, a winter session, they travel from Santa Anita, they come down here. So when you see maximum security get on the track at Del Mar, odds are the horses two gates down to the left and one gate to the right, they have probably raced a handful of times already. Do they know that? Yes, I really believe the horses do. Horses are one of the, the most intelligent animals on the face of the earth. So in, with that being said, 
Gamin, just as they're they're very in tune intellectually, they're people in the sense that, and I've said this before, be careful when you look at the workouts, be careful when you look at the morning workout schedules, because you might get a horse that's just not a morning person. They may they know the difference between race time and okay, they're taking me out here, they don't have a number on me, that means I've got to do my exercise. Sure, I'll go through the drill because then I'm going to get a carrot at the end of the, of the workout. But they're not giving it their all. But that means they can also feel bad. I never did get a chance to follow up and find out why did Gamine run the way she did on Saturday. But it wasn't the same Gamine that I have watched run the last two races and even prior to that. So Gamine maybe just didn't feel right. Maybe it's because the track was just a little bit damp still. Who knows? But uh, yes, with Skydiver now, that, that horse I thought then would be the shoe-in, and, and that would be the two-horse match race coming out of the home turn. Not to happen, and uh, she dares the devil, just, you know, hats off. That was a run, and you, I always say, my, uh, an old high school coach told me, it's like this, when you get beat, you get beat, and just be humble about that. Be, be more humble when you win. But be humble when you lose and congratulate the other person. So uh, congratulations, because that was a great race. And that led right into the Kentucky Derby, which, again, I was everybody who's heard this knows I was high on Tis the Law. And I'm still high on Tis the Law. If Barclay decides to run him in the Preakness, I'm hoping that it's a, a statement race for Tis the Law when they come back. I don't know. I have not even bothered to check to see if Baffert's going to take um, – who won the uh, authentic, authentic? Authentic. Authentic. Yeah, uh, if he's in the, if he's taking authentic to the Preakness or not, but that could be a good uh, a good rematch if that happens. You know, it's. I also heard, and this was before the Oaks ran. Um, so you know, the run changes. You know, the owners and trainers' uh, priorities change. But they're also talking about Swiss Skydiver possibly being a horse that could run in the Preakness. Now, this was obviously before. Um, um, everything happened on the Derby. Uh, so, you know, we still had a possibility of a triple crown. Obviously that's not happening. Tis the law. Um, look, we'll, we'll go into that, that t Kentucky Derby. And if you listen to the live stream here, I, I was calling it and it, it started right away in my intro, um, completely interrupted by me just looking up and seeing um, the 11. I would say, I would yeah, say, oh, one well, you know, you got you to gotta keep your eye on the horses. You know, we're doing a horse thing here. So you got to keep an eye on that. And I, I forget, I know it was the 11 horse. I forget the name of it, but um, going over, um, going over on its back, knocking over um, uh, somebody next to him. And then that happened, ended up scratching out of that race. Bafford horse number one. And then obviously we go and see what um, the, that horse did authentic was absolutely incredible. The run it, it, it looked like going into the turn, going out of the turn, coming in the home stretch. It was okay. This is what we expected, but tis the law is going to take over now. And it's almost like the, the exact opposite happened. Um, authentic ran really honestly as good a race as she dares. The devil ran in the Oaks. I think authentic ran maybe even, even more impressive, but that might've been the most impressive run I've seen in a horse race since like a Zenyatta run. Um, I think in like Santa Anita, I'm trying to think back. I don't remember what exact race might've actually been the Breeders' Cup Classic, honestly. But anyways, it was a very impressive run to see that horse take Tis the Law 
Um, best shot, which we all we all believed it was by far the best three-year-old, might still be, who knows, um, and took its best shot, stared in the eye, and went, you know what, I'm going to go and take this, and ran away from him. Very, very, very impressive. Um, and then, of course, at the end, more Baffert drama with, um, with Authentic getting a little squirrely, or I made a joke that, you know, somebody said, his the law is still better and he kind of ran him down that obviously wasn't the case we can joke about it now because nobody got hurt but um it, it, two times that really it could have been disastrous um now they're both Baffert horses I'm sure we will address that next week uh, but what were your thoughts on the Kentucky Derby as a whole um actually want to see out of uh AJ Martin in the house waiting for your uh some charger videos He's watching on Periscope. Kentucky Derby, uh, all the way around, it was an interesting week. Uh, I was waiting and waiting. I was a little disappointed and not to get political on anything, but there was so much media coverage on certain ends of the media regarding the protests that were forming on the demonstrations, I should say. They weren't really protests, but demonstrations uh, that surrounded the whole Brianna uh, Taylor incident back there and efforts from the community organizers that were trying to get the attention of Churchill Downs Derby organizers to possibly, at least for this year, just suspend the Derby uh, in following up with someone that we talked to here on the podcast a couple weeks ago. There was virtually no communication, no effort. Uh, and it's a shame. I appreciate the sporting event of the Kentucky Derby, and I did watch, and I was excited by the race and all. But it, uh, it's really a little disheartening that uh, it did appear to be the good old boys club wins again because they even went to the extent of really, really, really pushing out the boundaries for uh, who could get close to Churchill Downs. They did not want any buddy to have access where they would get too close to the cameras. NBC did send out some reporters into the field or a reporter into the field and they got very, very minimal coverage. But I think that was just, you know, a, a courtesy pat on the head, you know, sure here we're acknowledging it. And then leading up to the Derby, you could sense that there was a, the excitement that was usually there wasn't there, of course, because there was absence of people in the stands. They played my old Kentucky home and it wasn't that jam-packed 150,000 person, uh, the stands, the bleachers and the infield and all. But the race itself, the race itself was phenomenal, authentic, again, right out of the gate. I, I think halfway down the back stretch, uh, much as I wanted his law to come out and win the second leg of the Derby, it wasn't going to happen. I could just tell. And again, just like Gamine the night before in the Oaks, why? I'm not sure why. Uh, it, was, it, that was, it was a home field advantage, if you will, and it just didn't come to be. But uh, Baffert knows his stuff. He knows how to get it going on. And you're right as far as, it's, isn't that interesting that the only two horses that reared up that day was one before the race tied to Bob Baffert, and the other one was the one that won the race tied to Bob Baffert. And what does make two horses out of the same stable so squirrely? Coincidence? I guess so. And the gentleman that got knocked down was actually one of the handlers for that horse and uh, ended up not even, he had to leave and go to the hospital. He uh, busted up his armor in his hand. In the paddock? That's correct. Got it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I somebody told me, and it might have been you, Brandon, that uh, Baffert actually went down. Yeah. Um, when Authentic reared up. So. Um. Yeah, it was uh, after the fact. Yeah, he kind of. There was somebody um, in front, and then Baffert was kind of off to the side, and he got pushed off to the side too. Um, yeah, I mean, really, just scary stuff. I mean, these, these are animals. I mean, I love horses, but I definitely understand that if that horse doesn't like what you're doing, you're not going to do that. Um, so whatever that is, whether it was just a smell or, you know, um, luckily everyone is okay. Um, and mainly the horses yeah. too. I mean, I... I I don't want to, you know, sit here and, and say, oh, thank God Bob Baffert's okay, you know. The horses, too. <laughs> that was a very, very scary fall. Maybe not so much in the in the winter circle because, I mean, the, the horse didn't go down, but definitely in the paddock going over. And I believe it was that on one the was concrete. Bad. That was scary. Um, and just luckily, like I said, everything um, worked out in terms of healthy, right. at least on the and, outward and now. What else is going on? That is another thing. And of course, we're talking about a Baffert barn and we haven't even really brought up, at least in this in, uh, instance, maximum security. But it is important and I will point maximum out. security is the other horse that he won the Kentucky Derby with three years ago that's also investigated for being spiked. See, like, well, and I will when point you talk out, about criminal behavior, it's not just one incident, right? It's a pattern. So now you got Baffert illegal situation over three spiked horses that uh we'll dig into that next week well and and, and i do want to point out just because i do think it is important a maximum security being dope the way that horse was had nothing to do with bob baffert um and b bob baffert's right. earlier earlier well, we don't know. suspension don't know. Don't hold know. on hold on hold on bob baffert's earlier suspension in the meet um, had absolutely also nothing to do with maximum security. It was to do with other horses, which believe what you will, but they are somewhat uh, separate things. I don't think Bob Baffert's completely clean. Um, I also don't think he's uh, shoe sturdy, which um, I think the the barn, I think it's Nick Shoes who had maximum security to begin with. I think that was a uh, full on uh, criminal operation going on um, from, but I don't want to spoil too much for next week. So, but Right. Um, back to Del Mar in terms of really a, a, a meet that they 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 really did the best they could, man. And it was a great it was a great meet. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Wednesday and Thursday were a little different. It's a little weird to only go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but you know it is what it is. Um, they threw in a couple Mondays for us. Obviously, early on it looked a little questionable when we did lose an entire weekend, but after that. No more drama, period. I, I didn't hear about COVID tests, none of, or at least a positive uh, test. It was handled perfectly. Obviously, we would have loved to have been there, enjoyed it. Um, but even towards the end, I know there were some certain owners that were allowed back in, which is key. At least they're working towards um, that. Yeah. But uh, what were your thoughts and a recap of, of really a, a, as good of a meet as we could have seen? It's definitely an unforgettable meet. I don't think anyone's going to forget about the Del Mar 2020 meet. Well, the real history behind Del Mar, it, for a lot of people who don't know, I didn't know until I started doing a little more research, that racetrack has been going on. They started the races at Del Mar in, eight, in the 1880s. That's a long time for there to be horse races. They moved to the Del Mar track in the early 1900s, and this is only the third time since its inception that they have had to postpone the season 
for or shorten the season for any length of, of time. He survived the 1918 Spanish flu. Uh, it was World War One was the first time they did. World War Two was the second time they did, and then uh, the the questionable start on when they would start, and then the delay and the shortened season this time. So again, gives you an idea of what we're really dealing with when it comes to COVID the virus. But all the questions, the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club, it was exemplary what they did. They watched Santa Anita. They watched Santa Anita's winter session get shut down by the state, by, by the virus. They were finally allowed to go back on and complete their winter session, which leads into the Del Mar session. And then after that, it looked like they got the green light to go ahead and move forward with the Del Mar summer session. They got opening day, opening weekend out of the way, and it was a great opening weekend. And then what happened? Slavian Pratt, top jockey out there, get test positive. Next thing you know, they have another one and another one and another one. And so they barely get done with opening weekend and they have to suspend the races the following weekend. All this they're juggling with, they're juggling the whole calendar from you can have the races, but you can't have people attend. And if you can't have people attend, then that means you are not going to have all your other events that now race courses do, racetracks do to draw in more people, draw in, make it more of a family, a trendy thing to do. Concerts on Friday night, uh, beer night, taco night, this afternoon, that afternoon, all that gets shelved. And all that also equates to revenue for the racetrack. There's no parking, there's no ticket sales, there's no souvenir sales, the beer, the food, all that is out the window. So they persevered and went through with the season, but they really, the, the, all those variables were left out there unanswered. What's going to happen? And when all was said and done, and after the interruptions and delays and, and everybody's fingers crossed, 25% reduction in the amount of race days that they were going to have, but income went up. They made more money this year than they did last year. And here's the good and the bad to that. The positive is it keeps everybody paid. It gives everybody hope and says, yeah, we're going to be able to go on in October and we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine in 2021. But how many people now do you wonder are thinking, I still got to bet, and I didn't need to go to the racetrack. Now, a Brandon and me, I'm still going to go to the racetrack, but I'm wondering how that's going to impact and affect next year's attendance, even if there is a 70% uh, better condition socially as far as being able to go out to people. If they say you can have 50% capacity at the racetrack, provided you only sell tickets to assigned seats every third row or something to that nature. So it's going to be interesting, but yeah, the folks from Del Mar did one heck of a job to be uh, somebody, they must've just been 724. Somebody always had to have their eyes open and their ears open because they were at the will of COVID. They couldn't call the shots. As I put in that thing I sent to you, COVID took the reins and ran the race. He told Del Mar Thoroughbred Club, this is what you can and can't do. So hats off to those guys. I think it was a remarkable job. And then when all was said and done, when you look at the final five or six jockeys, five or six trainers, everybody that you and I talked about the entire season, there they were all at the top. And uh, it was good. And some of them made me a lot of money, and I'm still cussing out uh, uh, Drake and Van Dyke, you know, for a couple of races. Why would you pick that race to have a good race? <laughs> How dare you? 
but uh, but no, it was a great season, I thought. And I uh, and again, I've really appreciated it more than I usually do, and I enjoy the races. But being part of this podcast and being on with you every week has really been nothing but a pleasure. And I'm glad that you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago and decided we're going to keep going with this because I look at the calendar. There's plenty of horse racing to talk about. So thank you. Exactly. And I think it's perfect too, kind of the way it's working these next two weeks. Look, let's be honest. It's, um, it's going to be a couple weeks until it kind of gets rolling again in terms of the Breeders' Cup qualifiers. Um, the last weekend of September, um, I think we talked about Santa Anita. I know it's the American Pharaoh stakes and it's just a big weekend um for the breeders cup win and you're in and then you know before we know it it's going to be preakness uh obviously a little later than normal and then it's going to be breeders cup weekend and i can't wait for that uh there's going to be a lot of matchups in divisions that we we can't wait to see those horses go but going right. back to del mar um that's awesome i did not know that they actually made more money um i definitely do understand kind of what the, the maybe the um trepidation they have in terms of uh-oh like what does that mean but as somebody whose family um it's a family tradition to go to uh reggae fest it's the it's one of the saturdays they always have you know that's just our tradition there's i there's beer fest there's free and easy Wednesdays, um, all kinds of things to well, get. I, I used to go to the reggae fest because I don't smoke pot, right? But every once in a while, it would be nice, you know, it's a nice feeling. So all I would have to do is in the middle of the, the Ziggy Martin concert is walk towards the center and I would get a contact high and I would have, I have get a free uh, uh, marijuana high uh, at Del Mar. That was yeah. one of my, <laughs> one of the reasons I would go to reggae fest in the races. With my with my uh, friends that would go uh, every week, and they and they would always have that ticket. Oh, Reggae Fest is now next week, Josh. We're gonna come pick you up. <laughs> and then yeah, and and that's where I love calling the podcast "Falling the Money" because uh, that's how I pick horse races. And I went with a whole group of people, and it was just a great time. I took twenty bucks. I came home with sixty bucks, and all I did was walk to the window. And whatever line movement was, the horse with the biggest line movement, I bet on. <laughs> and I made 20 bucks into 60 bucks, walked into the middle of the Ziggy Marty concert in the middle, got my nice contact high, went and had a beer and chilled with my friends. So that was, so that was that's my fun Del Mar story. Yeah, right. and, and they, they were able to survive with all that going on. Um, and then let's not forget, they also missed the entire um del mar fair or san diego county fair or whatever it's called yeah. these days um you know that is a huge huge draw as well and that was missed entirely um del mar like i said what a, what a job and, and really my hats off to flavian pratt we go back to week one or, or end of opening day and he's the guy i remember he, he went to keeneland um they had that one week in keeneland where they got all their stakes races out they had to get all their stakes races in it was all in one week, and um, he had he had gone there, came back, and then all that stuff had happened week one, and for him to rebound and put in the season he did, um, Umberto Rispoli had an incredible season. We've talked about him pretty much since the start of this show um, as a guy to watch, but Flavian Pratt setting a record, 15 stakes races, over $3 million in winnings this meet. Um, absolutely incredible. And especially from a guy that 
at the start of the meet, it was a question whether or not he was even going to be a factor, let alone setting records. Um, Rispoli and Pratt, uh, Platt, or Pratt were on the other levels. Um, nobody else was, I mean, their win percentages were 24 and 23%. The next closest, I'm looking at Pereira at 15%. Um, it's just not even close. A Abel Cadillo. Abel yeah. Cadillo came in third at 12% also. Yeah. Yes. Right. I'm just, so yeah, Pereira. Yeah. Or Pereira. Going back to a second, if we're not yeah. on here, uh, something I'd like to research, maybe for the one we do after maximum security. But this piqued my interest. I tried to send you guys this article here. Uh, this is part of it, right? Because you talked about uh, more money being made this year at DMR than last time. Here you had a guy who won $609,000 in the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> so he had authentic on some sort of ticket or to win. But his, his, what he actually got, right, what Tim Conway was talking about was $35,000, right, which is a lot less than $609,000. So a couple of questions that I'll have, maybe not for this podcast, but for one later on, uh, really the intricacies of how the money is paid out and in the profit that Del Mar is making. And then I was on a live stream with per, uh, with first and it was maximum security, right? So maximum security was in first, uh, Dr. First can correct me if I'm wrong. You know, uh, Josh, just a heads up. I actually did a little more research. It, what happened was when I had seen it, I had seen morning line odds and then uh, the refresh had come through and given me the live odds. So while the line did move, it didn't move as quickly. I thought I was looking at live odds and then immediately went to like one to five. Okay, okay. Didn't quite but, happen like that. I mean, obviously it was- I've seen that happen before line. though. 100%. Yeah, no. I just want to, because it yeah. did move. All right, so, yeah, so we were on a live stream with Dr. First, right? And uh, you don't have to answer now, but it's something I would like to know. I like to research. So maximum security was six to one, right? And then suddenly it's one to six. How much money is that, right? Uh, how much money is that? And how does that happen? Where did those bets happen, right? Because this is the Kentucky Derby. The guy's betting in Reno, right? And that was part of the story of the Kentucky Derby was how the money was moving around around the country and how people were getting paid in uh, – not offshore tracks. That's a whole other story, <laughs> whole other podcast. But it, um, I guess, non-locale uh, betting parlors throughout the country. Because remember, uh, not to get too deep into it, we have a podcast where we did talk about the Wire Act, but horse racing is exempt from the Wire Act, and now sports betting is exempt from the Wire Act, right? And the Wire Act says that you can't transfer money in between states. But horse racing, you always could since the 1930s, right? So that, that's interesting to me, right? Because it's not just the Kentucky Derby. For me, right, the interesting is all this money. And this is just 600000 right? It's just the tip of the iceberg. That's probably, if you're saying sports betting is a billion-dollar handle, horse racing is right up there, right? And you got to look at horse racing being in the $500 billion range as far as money uh, being circulated. And probably the Kentucky Derby probably had a, a circulation of about $5 billion. Yeah. And oh, I would imagine so. I, yeah, I agree. And there's definitely a ton of money that 
um, I think especially gets dropped in. It, I think we saw it this year at uh, Del Mar and all over places where they don't have a central handle. Um, it's, 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 it's a bit delayed. You're, 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 you know, the post goes or the race goes off and, you know, really they're still sending money in or, or into the central handle by the time they really cross the line. So it's a little different. Um, it's, it's an adjustment I think everyone's had to make. Um, and I think, like I said, Del Mar, everything they did, it could have gone very differently. I remember a podcast, you know, a month ago where we were talking about what happens if they don't run, what happens if it, COVID comes back and not only if it, if Del Mar season gets canceled, but what about after? Like, is that the end? Like, because Del Mar, believe me, folks, if you've ever been to Del Mar, that is not cheap real estate. That is that is the top dollar uh, real estate in San Diego. Beautiful track. I am absolutely um, very, very happy to hear that they made money um, even without that. Obviously, we will be seeing the Bing Crosby stakes and Look, the Bing Crosby, uh, I'm sorry, not Bing Crosby Stakes. I always get that mixed up. The Bing Crosby Meet, um, which will be in November. Um, a little bit, you know, not nearly as heralded as uh, the Summer Meet. The only reason it's really um, been picked up by Del Mar is so that every three or four years we can have the Breeders' Cup, which is a perfect trade-off for me. Plus, we get more horse racing um, come November. And, you know, like we said, we got uh, Breeders' Cup, uh, but before that, the Preakness and We'll, we'll oh, see. Note about November re, re, uh, rematch of the Kentucky Derby. I think for horse racing, the the Miami game today is very, very important. You're going to have, I think, a full crowd in Miami for the Hurricane. Uh, if that goes out without a hitch, SEC goes out without the hitch. Uh, Mario Cristobal, the head coach of uh, Oregon, he came out strong today for the Pac-12 coming back in November. Uh, so if that happens, uh, Del Mar will have a lot of evidence to have fans to be able to attend the races in November. The, the, Gavin Newsom is, is shutting us down again before he's opening us back up again. This is a, this is a government matter. Um, now, obviously, Florida is different. Well, um, this is an exemption. Know, Gavin Newsom gave the Rams and the Chargers exemptions, uh, COVID-19 exemptions, right? If you, I, I guarantee you, if you put $100,000 in the Gavin Newsom uh, re-election campaign, it'll give you serious consideration for reopening. And I say that because when you give campaign contributions, it's public, right? Sam Crockery donated $100,000 to the Gavin Newsom re-election campaign. The Spanos family donated $50,000 to the Gavin Newsom campaign. The LA Chargers and the LA Rams have a COVID nineteen exemption. Those are just facts. Um, the I, I, last I read about a week ago, the Rams and Chargers both announced they're not having fans at all this year. They put that to bed. Um, that's what I read last. I heard. But anyways, back to just the horse racing side of things at Del Mar. Those those things might happen very well. Um, but like yeah. I said, I really I, I I can't imagine we're gonna see a climate where. Uh, Del Mar opens up for certain people where um, people can't open up their small businesses. You know, maybe that happens. That's great. But you're going to have uh, people that's protesting and stuff like that. So, um, what was that, Josh? I'm predicting it. You heard it here first. November 1st, uh, Pac-12 will be playing. And you'll see California uh, having re relaxed uh, laws for 
events for sporting events, exemptions, and uh, restaurants and bars. Gotcha. Well, we'll see about that, but uh, definitely, definitely excited for uh, what's to come here on the horse racing. Uh, right. Horse racing. And as spectrum. you said, as you said, Brandon, uh, there, there was a lot more at stake here, no pun intended, because quite honestly, if Del Mar doesn't run, then the whole California Horse Racing Association can take steps back and takes a look and says, do we even want to keep going? Del Mar, I, in my personal opinion, Del Mar has kept it going because Santa Anita has been under such scrutiny for the amount of horses lost over the last few couple of seasons. And Del Mar, again, not just on the COVID side, but on the safety of the horses side, they ran pretty much a flawless, albeit reduced, they ran almost a flawless program for the summer. And they really did a remarkable job just keeping horse racing alive in California. I don't think it would have been a swift, sudden severing and it just drives up and goes away. But then, but you did have to take a look at that. If California didn't make some kind of recovery on the COVID side, if Del Mar got shut down completely, those horse owners, those trainers, the Bob Bafferts of the world, they've got to go somewhere. The jockeys got to make, have to make their money somewhere. Well, they can't sit around San Diego or LA and hope that Del Mar is going to open up again, that Santa Anita is going to run again, that Golden Gate's going to run again. So uh, again, it was just, this has been a very, very positive thing. Uh, just real quickly on the numbers, I know we're, we're rolling up on an hour here. Uh, 2019, the take was 431 million, just under $432 million for the season. This year, $466.6 million. They were an increase of $34 million. Their daily take, their daily gate was 17 million in wagering versus 12 million per day. And those were on reduced days, which that helps, of course, because you, you condense the amount of time that you're able to bet that people are able to go out and play the horses. And so maybe there was a little bit more fervor. Let's go out. Then we got to get our best in today. We got to play today. We may not be able to play tomorrow. That might have had something to do with it. that. And people have more time in their hands because a lot of people are working, reduced schedules are working from home. Satellite wagering. Satellite wagering was up by 125% in California and out state, it was out up by 65%. So online wagering, all those... Uh, the satellite locations that stayed open in other states where they allow satellite wagering and online betting really kept Del Mar uh, above the surface this year. Awesome. That's uh, Yeah, that's great. And to see Del Mar, and thank goodness for the technology. I mean, it, it's obviously, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, this would have been maybe not um, impossible, but not as easy as it is for all of us uh today to kind of enjoy what del mar had to offer um and you know just kind of going back to like no fans and and maybe people deciding hey we did it at home um believe me if if you do think that way and you've never been to del mar and you do get the opportunity just take a day you will not regret it um that it's a it's a beautiful venue beautiful uh place to be uh, i definitely took it for granted um but uh definitely will be back hopefully um, as soon as, whenever they really let me in, uh, pretty much it's like that meme where it just let me in and he's just uh, pulling on the gate, trying to get in. That's kind of me from a, a, a passive uh, way, but hopefully it will be next summer. I mean, goodness gracious, if 
if we don't have fans in the Del Mar next summer, I, 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 we're in trouble. But I, I believe we will, but we shall see. That's a long ways away. Uh, final thoughts, gentlemen. Again, I just all my emphasis is on Del on the the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club and everything they did for the safety of the stable workers, the trainers, the vets that were out there day in and day out. They're also just putting themselves on the line by being there, and I understand that's what they do. That's how they earn a check. Doesn't mean they have to do it, but they chose to. And the jockeys too. They were. I did see some things behind the scenes where the the jockeys were very adamant. We're here. We're here to ride, and that's what we're going to do. We're not walking away from anything. So again, congratulations to Del Mar on a successful 2020 season. Amen. Josh, yeah, no, no, they did a great job at many levels, right? Because uh, with USC and UCLA, they can't practice because throwing the ball around, right? It's against California state law, right? The Rams got away with it, and the Chargers got away with it with the donations they made to the Gavin Newsom uh, campaign, right? So for Del Mar to open wasn't just the money. They, they had to have the political clout, the lobbying, to be able to get that done. Nathan Fletcher was against them, and they were, out, be, they were able to outmaneuver the Nathan Fleshers of the world, the Todd Gloria uh, that I know personally, they were able to outmaneuver them. And they did a great job as far as that is concerned. And then the tight knit group of a thousand people that work at Del Mar, they did a great job as well because you didn't hear a peep from them with any news stories or anything coming out of Del Mar, especially when they closed down Del Mar, right? So now, with, you gotta give it to uh, the Southland Conference, and you gotta give it to uh, Conference USA, right? They went out and they played football last week without a hitch, without, they, they had a perfect bubble. They had, uh, they used the, the instant testing from Harvard, which the instant testing from Harvard now is the game changer where in 15 minutes, you know whether you have COVID-19 or not. If you do go have COVID-19, you get further testing. But it's in 15 minutes, and you can administer to people twice a day. So that changes everything, right? And I'm sure Del Mar will have it. Everybody else will have it. And I'll stick to my prediction. November 1st, you're going to see uh, – actually, I wouldn't say November 1st. When's the election? November the 3rd? Right after the election, yeah, yeah you're going to see a dramatic, uh, the, the politicized uh, parts of COVID-19 are going to dissipate, and I think it's going to be between night and day, the COVID-19 situation, I, and I think you will see uh, stadiums in California about 50% capacity by, by around that time, because remember, at that point, that kicks off the Gavin Newsom uh, re-election campaign in California. So things will dramatically change. That's my opinion anyways. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I don't call him Governor Newsom. I call him Overlord Newsom, all hail Newsom. But um, this uh, getting, getting away from all that little uh, more on the serious side of things. Um, I talked about taking Del Mar for granted and other things. And I think we're all guilty of taking um, our loved ones for granted. Um, and 
on a day like today, um, all the bullshit going on around the world, um, in our world and everything, there, there, there were thousands and thousands of families um, that went to bed tonight um, 19 years ago that had absolutely no idea what was to come the next day. Um, and I guess my main thing and, and what I want to leave, um, and I'll leave it with um, Winston Churchill after my thought, uh, in a situation of, you know, call your loved one, um, all of them, tell them you love them because you just don't know. Obviously, tomorrow, September 11th, um, a lot of our lives changed. Um, I would venture to say that probably north of 90% of us were affected by that. So just go. Um, Get a hold of your loved one or, you know, hey, who knows, somebody who you haven't talked to in a while, uh, check on them, tell them you love them, because um, you just don't know what September 11, 2020 will bring or for that matter, the next day, right. any day. Oh, yeah. 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 And I would like to add to that. Uh, it's that thing. The only guarantee in life is tomorrow is not guaranteed. <laughs> so always be thankful for what you have around you. Exactly. Amen. Amen. And then if I, on the horse racing side, one more thought on the horse racing side, yes. if I may. It's out there on anybody who can look up, um, if you can have a DVR or if you're able to plug into NBC somewhere and look at their history of shows. A program ran last week, I believe it was, and I haven't had a chance. I've got it recorded on my hard drive. It's called Born to Run, and it's a one-hour documentary on the esteemed American pharaoh. Oh, and yeah. if you want to see... If you want to see a story about a horse and, and the thoroughbred and the thoroughbred of thoroughbreds for his time, it gives you a good insight to what it really takes. And Ashley Judd, they got Ashley Judd to do a lot of the narrating, if not all of the narrating. Nice piece, nothing political, just a good right. story about a good athlete, American Pharaoh. Right. And, and the human drama of it all, right? The human drama of it all. Uh, the, the American Pharaoh story has many, many layers, but the absolute star of it is the actual horse, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, yep. uh, and, and, that, and that's what the focus is, right? Try to keep it as simple as possible. Everything else is crazy, but the actual horse was amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, we will be back, obviously, thank you. next week with Call to Post, and as always, we will finish with the Winston Churchill quote um, that look, you make a life or you make a living by what you earn, but you make a life by what you give. Thank you all again so much. Now go wash your hands and stop hating. Take care, everybody. And get that pizza in the oven for football. Amen. Right. Have a good night. Take care. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use. <clears throat> and they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN betting and team report podcast. It helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started, my brothers.